You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon by Alan Goddard. I always think it's funny when someone says, let's give him a great big hand before I've said anything. It's like, just wait and see what you think later, maybe, uh, would be the best. I, I do appreciate that. Um, that's too kind. I, I am Alan. It's nice to meet you. I am one of the elders here in the church. It's been a while since I've been up here, and I'm really glad to be back and to do this. As Lee said, uh, or maybe he didn't say, maybe you remember, that we have been doing a series in the book of Romans over the past few weeks, and we have been starting with Romans 12, and that is because in the book of Romans, Paul spends the first chapters 1 through 11 thoroughly laying out theological truths about God and the gospel and how that all works and how God has revealed himself. And then when we get to chapter 12, verse 1, he uses the word therefore and says there's a turn. In light of all these things, therefore, how should we respond or how should we live And then he begins to say, we should live in a way that pleases God and in the way that we can identify the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And how do we live out that will? And then he gets very practical and he begins to tell us all these different things that reflect the gospel and help us to live that out well. And we have just been following scripture along and whatever it says, we have been unpacking. And so today, we have gotten to chapter 13 of Romans. We're going to be in 13, 1 through 7, and that's the passage that we're going to read And I'm just going to start by reading our text, the one that we're going to be looking at today. And so if you want to look that up in your Bibles, follow along, that'd be great. If if not, it's going to be on my head, or on my head, no, not here, above my head back there, or it's going to be on the screen in front of me, and you can read along as we go. I'll just read it. Here's Romans 13, 1 through 7, it says this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Pray with me. Lord, you say in the Psalms that the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks what is just. The way of God is in his heart, his feet do not slip. And Lord, that would be my desire this morning. That would be my prayer today, Lord, that I would be one who would speak what is just, 
and whose mouth would speak wisdom as I teach your word and as we look at this word together today. But more than that, Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak. I pray that you would do your divine task of guiding us into all truth and that you would be speaking directly to hearts as we encounter you in your word today, that you would fill us with wisdom of the knowledge and the will of God, that we might be holy and pleasing before you. Let that happen as we do this message today, I pray. Amen. Chapter 13. Rolling right along in Romans, and then we get to this subject, government. Woo! So exciting, right? And yet, maybe it is. Maybe it really is exciting because it seems that only fitting that in a year that has seen its fair share of political turmoil around us that we should talk about this. So it's kind of a hot topic, right? We've seen protests over police brutality. We've seen contested election results. People storming our capital in Washington, D.C. So we come today to the word, regardless of current events around us, just like we come to it at any time. In other words, we're going to come fresh. We're going to open it up. We're going to be a blank page. We're going to say, what does the word have to say to us? We are going to learn of it. What does it have to teach us? And it just so happens, as we get to this in Romans 13 today, we come to the idea of government as we talk about this realm of how we should live and how we should carry out God's will. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, as you might expect, given our recent history here and our current events, this is a subject that brings up some thorny questions. And we are going to talk about all of them because I don't think it does Scripture any justice for us to skip the hard parts. So we are going to say exactly what Scripture has to say about it all. But it's going to be a little hard because this subject can poke us in some sensitive places. And so that makes it a a little bit difficult. There's another reason this is a little difficult, and that is, let's be honest, this is not um, a topic that has a whole lot of warm, fuzzy stories. Government, you know, just brings out the warmth in your heart. Not really. So today we might be a little teaching heavy, but... That might be okay, because maybe clarity of information and thought is what we really need the most on this subject. And then, of course, there's another reason this can be a hard subject to talk about, and that is human nature. And the simple fact that this pricks our human nature, it rubs us the wrong way. And that is because we tend to have an independent, rebellious spirit, a seed that's kind of woven into us ever since the garden We don't like to talk about words like submission. We don't like to talk about things like authority. It's just a naturally hard subject for all of us because of the human nature that we have. But regardless of all those things, this is where we find ourselves in Romans 13. And so here's how I'm going to start. Before we dive into Romans 13 and go verse by verse and exposit it, I would like for us to see kind of the larger context of what this subject is. Because this subject is a little bit like a diamond in that the subject we're going to talk about today in this passage is one facet of a larger whole. And that larger whole in Scripture is a thing called authority. Now, you see this from the very beginning with the authority of God in the garden and moving forward. But you also see it in various other places that describe human relationships. And you might be surprised at where it gets pointed out. I could start with the Ten Commandments. What does the fifth commandment say? It says, honor your father and mother. Have you ever wondered why that's in there? 
the whole idea of honoring parents. You know, there's another surprising passage that also talks about honoring parents in the same way. In Romans 1, earlier in the book, there's this verse that Paul talks about in Romans 1, 29 and 30. He's describing our sin, our sin as mankind. He says this verse, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. And you look at that and you think, what? You can see it ticking off, right? It's like envy. Okay, I'm not really the envious type. Murder. Well, I've certainly never killed anybody. They invent ways of doing evil. <laughs> I'm not that creative. They disobey their parents. What? Come on. That's not fair. Why is that in there? I mean, we've all done that, right? Why are there these verses in there that are like this? Well, in actuality, these things are markers to a larger subject. They're, they're statements about God's view of authority. The first element of that authority, the primary element being family. And so what this is trying to tell us is God is a God that approves of authority. God is an authority himself. And to follow God means we are a people that deals well with authority. You see the point? What I'm trying to point out is that to please God means to be a kind of person who is naturally submitted to authority. This is part of the character of a God follower in general. And all throughout scripture, you see this taught. That's the larger whole when it comes to authority. Now, in the New Testament, the New Testament lays out three facets of this diamond of authority. The first one being the family. <clears throat> and of course, we have the husband-wife relationship and the authority of parents over kids. The second one is church, which is under the authority of elders. And then you get this third one, which is government the state. And that's what we're talking about today, this facet of the state. So we're going to dive in on that era, or in that, that little area. Now, I thought today, though, before we dive into the specific verses in Romans, we would take a look at what are the things about the state the New Testament says. And so I'm going to read a few passages elsewhere in the New Testament that describes this idea of the state and God's view of it. And I just want you to listen. I'm going to read them, and I just want you to listen, and I think as we go through them, you are going to see some themes begin to appear, okay? So here's the first one. It's in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. I'm just going to read it. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake for every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Here's another one. This is in the book of Titus. Titus 3. I'm going to start at the end of 2. Paul is telling Titus, who he's put in charge of this church, what he should be doing. So he says, Titus... These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And what should he teach them? Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. Wow. Slander no one, peaceable, considerate. How would that look in our political discourse today? Here's a third one. 
This is what we read already in the inspiration. I urge then, 1 Timothy 2, I urge then first of all that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's a picture, a picture of this idea of government authority or the authority that should be over believers. And let's unpack what Scripture has to say to us today about this, okay? I'm going to talk about it directly. And I'm going to be honest, it's pretty simple. I'm only going to make two points today. They're pretty straightforward, but everything else hangs underneath them. And here's the first point, simply stated, just going to tell it to you in a sentence. Government authorities are established by God and they are for our good. There's your first point. Government authorities are established by God and they are for our good. Now, does this mean authority in general or does this mean specific governments? Yes, that's the answer. Why is this such an important principle for us to know? It's because it reflects the heart of God. In Corinthians, Paul tells us that God is a God of order. God himself is an authority, and therefore, you would expect that in God's design, which is good for us, authority is going to play a part in that, right? This is one of the ways we see God's goodness in our everyday lives. He institutes authorities to bring order and peace in societies. That's what it just said in 1 Timothy 2, right? That we would be able to live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. In other words, as there is order in the world, we have freedom to be godly. We have freedom to do what is right. We live ordered, stable, quiet, peaceful lives. Government enables that to happen. And God says, this is good. That's good for us. This is God's view on that. And that's exactly what Romans 13 says. So let's pick it up with Romans 13, verse 1. Let's read it again. Go back to the beginning there. And here's what it says. Same thing. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those doing so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and he will commend you. And here it is, verse 4, what we just said. For he is God's servant to do you good. See, it's very clear what Paul is saying right here. Government is good for us because it provides order. And this is something we have to realize. The purpose of government that God gives us is to give us that stability. It's a blessing, right? And it's different than we think. The opposite, evidently, the opposite of good government is not bad government. In God's economy, the opposite of good government is anarchy. Do you see it? This is what God wants. He wants there to be order, and he wants there to be justice. And that is why he has given government the power that he has. Now, let's think about this. In our society, there have been discussions about police. Have you ever stopped to think, what would it be like if there were no police, if there was no law enforcement, if there was no FBI, if there was no government force, that was trying to punish evildoers and set things right? Do you think that would be free? Would you feel free 
No, you wouldn't feel free. You wouldn't feel free at all. It would be chaos. It would be a war zone. Our whole society would be, would be nothing but the strong taking from the weak, whatever they could. It would be so scary, you would hunker down in your apartment with the curtains closed in the dark, hoping somebody didn't come find you. But because we do have order and law enforcement in our society, how free are you? So free. Do you ever think twice about going to the grocery store? Do you ever think, gosh, I don't know if I can leave my house? No. That's part of the goodness of government in that there is an order to it. This is why Paul says it is good that government bears the sword. He does not bear the sword for nothing. And that this actually is a blessing. Now, let's be honest. Are there times that that authority of government gets abused? Yes, there are. Are there some bad policemen in the world? Yes, there are. It is a sad and unfortunate thing that we just simply have to realize that even our protectors, being sinful human beings, can sometimes do evil. I have enough African-American friends who have told me what it's like for them when they get pulled over to know that this is truly the case. I think the Sandra Bland story is just one of many cautionary tales that have to inform us about these realities. And yet, the principle should be, don't judge something by its abuses. The fact that there may be bad policemen does not mean government having the ability to punish is wrong. And Paul is saying, this is a good thing God has instituted. Government rewards those who do good and punishes those who do evil. That is its job. It serves God by doing so. And if it does that job well, all of us are blessed, right? Those policemen, those agents, other government employees, they are servants of God and they bless us. So next time the state patrolman pulls you over to give you a speeding ticket, I want you to look out your window and say, thank you for being an angel of the Lord. Let's see what happens. Okay, what time? How much time? Do I, I, I got to tell this story, actually. I can't, I can't not. So... In my, um, how shall I say this, in my younger years, when I was just out of college and in my 20s, I, um, well, let's just say, I, I had a habit of driving slightly faster then than I do now. Um, and one day I was on my way to work and I was cutting through a neighborhood and going far faster than I should have. And sure enough, in my rear view mirror, some blue lights appeared and um, indeed an agent of the Lord gave me a citation. Um, it was, it was kind of interesting, though. A couple of weeks before this moment, I had actually been at a Christian conference in which they had been talking about this, and they had been talking about how we should be grateful to those who are, who are agents of God in our government, and we should express gratitude to them and stuff. I remember the policeman wrote me a ticket, and he was walking back to his car, and I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this. But I rolled down my window, and I said, hey, and the policeman turned back to me and I, I said, I didn't call him an angel of the Lord, okay. I said, thank you for doing your job, even though this time you got me. And this big smile appeared on his face as if he had never had anyone actually express gratitude toward him in the way he served our society. And that was just great. That ticket was really expensive, though. Point number two. Where are we? Point number two. Here's point number two, okay? Simple point again. 
Christians are called to submit to governing authorities. Christians are called to submit to governing authorities. Now, you are going to think I am a brilliant Bible teacher when I tell you where I got this point, right? Look at verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to governing authorities. See what I did there? Huh? Right? Actually, this is so central. This is so clear in this passage. Paul repeats it. He says it twice. Because also in verse 5 it says, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. So, this is obvious. It is obvious that part of living out the good will of God is choosing to live under authority. And one of those areas is the state. Christians are people who admit and accept that government has the right to exercise authority over them. And to rebel against that is simply to rebel against God himself. There is no other way to say it. Christians are to be a governable people. Not a passive people, not a disengaged people, not an apathetic people, but we are to be a governable people. And what these passages are telling us is that we are clearly called to be good citizens, even model citizens, contributors, to be trustworthy members of society, to be people who make communities better. Now, to be governable does not mean you don't seek to speak into those laws that are being passed or to influence those leaders or even to become those leaders. As a matter of fact, I would say it means we should do all those things to be the kind of governable people God wants us to be. But one thing is very clear. We are not to be a rebellious, disobedient people. Now, I told you this was going to raise some thorny questions, right? And this is going to bring us to the first one, which is simply this. What do you do if the law of your government tells you to do something that disobeys God? How do you answer that? Well, the answer to that is most clearly found in Acts chapter 4. So if you want to flip there with me, you can. In Acts 4, verses 16 through 20. But if you don't want to look, it'll be on the screen or it'll be on the screen above me. In Acts chapter 4, the church is being born, right? Miracles are happening. People are coming to Christ. And one of the things that occurs is Peter and John heal a beggar outside the temple in public in the sight of everyone. And great praise erupts, which is a delight to the Christians, but is consternation to the Jewish leaders who are opposed. So the Jewish leaders have a council, and they call in Peter and John, and they're debating what to do. And so in verse 16, the Jewish leaders are saying, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name, which would be Jesus' name. Then they called them, Peter and John, in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And look at Peter and John's response. Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now there's a principle here in this passage. It's actually the same as the one we have already said. Christians are a people under authority. However, one of the, th the things that we need to understand is there's a bigger picture of what that means. Think about it. Which authority is higher, God's authority or human authority? That's a pretty easy question, right? It's God's authority. As people under authority, we are supposed to obey the highest authority, which is the Lord. When a human government's laws contradict with the laws of God, we are a people under authority, the highest authority. And it is in times like that 
that we will have to disobey that human authority because we're obeying the Lord. So there are times we might have to disobey our earthly leaders, and there may be consequences for doing so. And of course, that leads to even more thorny questions. What about evil persecuting governments? Speaking of consequences. You know, in China right now, under the government of Xi Jinping, there is a wave of persecution against the Christian church going on that is unparalleled in its history. Churches have been torn down and bulldozed. Pastors are being thrown in jail. Um, there are reports of Muslim Uyghurs in far western China being sent to re-education camps and used as slave labor. You see articles about this almost every week. Um, last week in our service right here on this stage, we baptized two heroes who have fled the nation of Iran right now because their lives are in jeopardy for following Christ. I don't know if you know this. More people are being martyred for the Christian faith right now in history than has ever occurred in the history of the world. And this is happening everywhere from Eritrea to India to Laos. What are we supposed to do in a situation like that? How are we supposed to think of this? Because even though this is happening, we read these words in verse 1. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So how do you understand this? How can we even believe this is true? Now I admit, this is hard. However, I note that the first Peter passage that we read a few minutes ago was written in a time of persecution under the Roman emperor Diocletus. And even so, that did not temper Peter's instructions to them to continue to being submitted to government as God's institution. And in that, there is this tension that we have to learn how to figure out. How do we live upholding the ideal that government on one hand is good and God-given, while at the same time resisting evil within it? Because regardless of whether a government is persecuting or not, both of those things are true, right? In Ephesians 5.11, we are told uh, do not participate in deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So it's very clear, we cannot be complicit in injustice in a government. And yet at the same time, government is established by God and is good. So what are we supposed to do with that? There's a tension. And we have to figure out, how do we honor God's intention for government while at the same time fighting against injustice in it? It gets worse. It gets even harder. Because then we come to the next thorny question, which is this. Can a Christian be a revolutionary? I told you we were going to talk about all of it today, right? Can a Christian overthrow a government? Can we participate in a revolution? And you're not necessarily going to like my answer. Because here it is. Maybe. Okay, I'm not copping out, honestly. But <clears throat> what this is talking about is this. I'm trying to make the point that throughout history, as Christians have considered this question, there has been this great amount of disagreement. Some Christians see it as obedience to God, or to let God sort out governments. Maybe you're thinking of passages in the Old Testament, uh, such as in the Psalms, where it says, he builds up one and he tears down another. Or Daniel 4, where it says, he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And those Christians would say, this is God's business, not our business. Then there's other Christians who disagree with that and who say, no, as Christians, we, 
we need to seek justice, and sometimes that means overthrowing a government. Now, of course, according to these passages, for that view to be true, overthrowing a government doesn't mean just getting rid of a government because it did something you didn't like. It would mean that government was acting so antithetically to God's purposes for it that it was not punishing the wrongdoers and commending the good, that it was not providing order and stability, that that government was simply no longer tenable as a government. It also would be saying that government is not to be overthrown for anarchy, but to remove unjust leaders to replace them with just ones, right? There's no way to get around that. But there have been plenty of believers who would side on the other side. John Calvin said it was right to overthrow tyrannies because they are, quote, full of disorder and are not an ordained government. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pacifist, and yet he participated in a plan to revolt against Hitler just because of the magnitude of the evil that was being done. These are hard tensions. So how does this play out practically? Well, there's no shortage of examples. And no, I'm not going to talk about speeding because that's boring. Let's talk about something else. So let's say, hypothetically of course, that you live in a city or a municipality which is given authority by its state to, I don't know, pass a law that says you have to wear a mask anytime you're in a public area indoors. Just say that that would happen, right? Now, as a Christian, will you wear one? Of course you will. Why? Because of what we just said. We just said that we are a people that please God by obeying our covenant when it does not contradict his commands to us. Well, do we have a biblical command that says it's wrong and sinful to ever wear a medical mask during a pandemic? Mm, not that I have been able to find, right? So of course we're going to obey and submit to our government because it's for our good. Or how about this one? It's springtime. You know what that means. April 15th is right around the corner, right? It's tax season. What about that cash that you were paid for something? For me, that might be a wedding. I perform a lot of weddings. Am I going to declare that on my taxes? Or maybe for you, that's cash you got as a tip as a waiter. Are we going to declare that? See, the world says this. No one knows you got that. Come on. The IRS is not going to come knocking on your door. What they don't know won't hurt them. But what do we say as believers? Romans makes it fairly clear, right? In verse 6, it simply says, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servant, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. Now, to be obedient to governing authorities means we pay our fair share. Not more than our fair share, but notice why we do it. And this is the last thing I want us to look at. There are two reasons to obey. One is external. I don't want to go to jail. But there's a second reason that it talks about, and it talks about it in verse 5. There is something for a Christian much more powerful at work that makes us fundamentally different from those who do not share our faith. It's a thing called conscience. Verse 5, Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. And Paul is not talking about having a guilty feeling that keeps you up at night. He's talking about recognizing who we're accountable to. God sees us. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Hebrews 4.13. You and I stand before a God who sees. And even more than that, we want to please God. We desire to please him because he's our loving father. Of course we don't want to do something that would make him unhappy. And he sees all. So are we going to pay? Of course we are. Because we desire honesty for the sake of conscience. Now, I'm not saying there's no such thing as an honest non-Christian. Of course, there are internally motivated people. But the motivation will never be that one. For us, we have a loving Heavenly Father. We desire to please. And that makes us choose to do things differently without having to be coerced into it. But because our hearts long to be obedient. So here's a summation. Christians who live according to the will of God are to be a people who live well under authority. That should be us. And this is because we live with a submitted spirit under a God who is a loving authority over us. And he's given us proper authorities out of desire for our good. This is something for which we should be grateful. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you today with grateful hearts, saying thank you, Lord, that you are such a God, that you are a God who wishes our good, and you are a God who institutes things for our good. Father, help us to be a people that reflects well in the name of Jesus. Lord, help us to be a people that submits rightly in the right ways at the right time so that the name of Christ is not maligned. Lord, make us an obedient people, not just to avoid punishment, but to please you. Lord, let our hearts be pure before you, I pray, that we might have a good conscience before our Savior. And Lord, we do give you thanks. We give you thanks for those who do serve as servants of you. Give you thanks, Lord, that you have instituted this for our good and that you give us a society of order. Honestly, Lord, we so take for granted here in the United States and in our, our city that we live in a place of order, that we live in a place of peace where we can live peaceful and quiet lives. And for that, we are grateful. For that, we are, we are thankful. Lord God, we love you so much. We commend ourselves to you. Fill us with your spirit so we will be holy and reflect well in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.